As I tell every band that sends me a demo, a huge part of being a band is touring. If you're not touring, you're not really doing your job. Touring has long been important for building a national audience, gaining experience, and making money. As other sources of income have diminished, though, money from live performances is more important to a musician's livelihood than ever. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Today, we're talking to several bands about how they take their music on the road and the challenges they face. It's all coming up on the future of what? listening to the future of what we're talking with Hutch Harris of the Thermals. Hutch, welcome to the future of what. Thanks, Portia. I want to ask you about touring. Okay. When I talk to a new band, I, they always say they're going to go on tour. Uh-huh. And then they either do go on tour and hate it and break up. Yeah. Or sometimes every now and then they go on tour and they love it. Yes. So or you, they love it at first and then they hate it very right. soon after. So can you tell us about your, like, so you went on that first tour so, Back in the day. Yeah. Kathy Foster, who plays with me in the Thermals, we had a couple bands before the Thermals, and we had already done a lot of touring, and we did like it, and it is hard. I mean, whether or not, you know, if you love it or hate it, it is just something you have to do if you want to be a successful band. But yeah, it does drive a lot of people crazy. But, you know, once the Thermals got signed and we really had to, like, really start touring, like, most of the year, we had already done enough tours that we were we were kind of ready for that. And we had kind of done so many hard—we had done so many tours with no label support, with no agent, you know, we are booking ourselves. That by the time, you know, once we were signed and started touring, you know, it, it got easier in some ways, you know, because we had done such hard tours before that. Can you tell us about some of those hard tours? Like what what makes touring hard? Okay, when yeah, when bands that are starting out now complain about touring, <laughs> I have to explain to them and I sound old because I am. But so Kathy and I, you know, the first tour we did was probably 1995 or 96. So we had no cell phone, we had no GPS, you know, and like I said we had no agent, we had no label. We didn't even have email. So what we would, you know, you're just calling when you're booking the tour yourself, you're just calling people. It takes forever because you're missing people a lot. You're leaving messages, you know, for weeks. Then when you finally hear back from someone, they don't want to do a show for you. You know, you get in the van and you just have like some handwritten, you know, you've talked to the promoter on the phone and you just have handwritten directions that are, you know, usually not totally correct. So when you roll into a city, then you have to go find a payphone to call the promoter and hope they're around so you can get exactly to the, you know, club. I mean, I just remember even just when like you had MapQuest and you would, you know, still before GPS, you know, you'd print out, you know, directions that would also be wrong often. <laughs> Right. So now today, when you think you have a cell phone, you have a smartphone, you know, you have GPS, it's so incredibly, it's so much easier than it used to be, you know, which is great for us. You know, it's it's so much less stressful than it used to be. I mean, still touring is stressful, 
But you do have to when when new bands complain about touring, you got to be the old man and tell them when you know back in my day, like you really don't know how easy it is now. Absolutely, yeah. and it helped that you and Kathy had been friends for a while, Definitely. so that you guys got along. Yeah, because I have been on tours where I wasn't speaking to my guitar player oh, or yeah. my bass player, and I I would speak to my bass player and tell my bass player to tell my guitarist something. Oh God, yeah, it was really and stories juvenile. like that are common mm-hmm. and. I mean, another thing I tell bands is when you're starting a band with someone, the priority is that you get along first (laughs) and then can you play together. If you, you know, if you're in a band with someone you don't like, I wouldn't say that band's not going to last because these bands do last and bands just hate each other for their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, if you really want to enjoy being in a band, you know, people think the priority is, well, let's find someone who can play and can we play together? No, it's like, can we be friends first? And then can we be a band second? Right. So do you guys have any, I know that I have some tour stories that are, you know, like two or three margarita tour stories like where you're not going to actually hear it until we're like pretty wasted because they're <laughs> I think that most terrible. of our stories are like that. <laughs> do you have any that we can we can have over like morning coffee? Any any good ones that can be shared? I mean, I think as to, for what we're talking about, I remember one time just on one of our first tours, we were going to Detroit. Uh, we had terrible directions. You know, we pulled into the city. We're like driving around forever looking for a payphone. Finally find a payphone. Promoter's not answering. Driving around even longer, you know, trying to find the club. We never found the club. And <laughs> and this is, you know, this is like almost, this is almost 20 years ago. So this was not, uh, you know, this is not a fun time to be driving around Detroit. Right. You know, aimlessly, you know, not aimlessly, but <laughs> trying to find the damn club. Eventually, you know, we just left the city. Right. <laughs> never found the show. We just turned around and left. <laughs> never knew what happened. Never heard. You know, never heard back from the promoter. There was no way. Wow. Maybe you know he called us at home, but you know, we never knew. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so yeah. it was a huge missed opportunity for us. I managed a band one time who we booked a tour. I mean, I booked the tour, so uh-huh. it was the same deal. And they showed up, and the venue had exploded the night before, and there was a oh, hole in the ground. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> you might be that's relieved happened. at that point. I know. You're like, like, oh, thank God, we can right, just go home. Yeah. So. In addition to GPS, has anything else changed that's made you more comfortable on the road, or is it just literally just getting used to it and knowing what you're doing? You know, it's nice if you can, you know, there's companies like Bandigo that rent sprinters to bands, or, there, you know, there's more than one company like that that will, you know, if you if your band can't afford a van, to buy a van, but you can afford to rent one from your tour, you know, and you can rent a Sprinter, and, you know, they put, like, an Xbox, and there's, like, captain's chairs in it. It's a lot more comfortable than, like, a broken-down, like, 85, you know, Chevy van, which is what we used to tour in. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot more facilities. There's a lot more options for bands like that. And, I mean, really just having the Internet, there's just, you know, I mean, obviously the Internet has changed everything, and not always for the better, mm-hmm. but it's definitely such a good resource for bands, you know, to, you know, to talk to other bands and to, you know, I can't like stress it hard enough. Imagine trying to book your own tour without email or without the internet. It's insane. Yeah. So it's made it so much easier, I think. We lost the 20 year olds at payphones. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. No yeah, idea yeah. what no we're talking idea. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Hutch Harris is the lead singer and guitar player of the Thermals. He joined us here in studio. Hutch, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me.
was Now We Can See by The Thermals. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? Prolific rock group Portugal The Man has been touring consistently since 2004. We're talking with their bassist, Zach Carruthers. Zach, welcome (laughs) to The Future of What? Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. So today, we are talking about what it's like to be in a working band. Living hell. (laughs) Let's do this. So basically, you guys have been a band for quite a number of years. Way too long, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And you are now at a level where you're, I mean, I'm assuming you tour in a bus. Do you tour in a bus? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, What's that like? What are the pluses and minuses of touring in a bus? You sleep more. I was the night driver. We We were in a van for about, in this band, we were in a van for about eight years or so, I think. Um, I was one of the night drivers. I didn't sleep very much. Even when I did sleep, a lot of times it was, you know, in the driver's seat because I knew I had to start driving at 3 a.m. or something. And so when we first got a bus, it was it, it was the biggest moment of my life at that point. <laughs> Our first night in a tour bus, you have no idea how happy it was. It was in it was here in Portland, Oregon. It was crazy. It was our first big tour. We, it was... It was magical. We had rented out the Crystal Ballroom for rehearsals. So the Crystal Ballroom was ours for three nights. Insane. And somehow we still got very little work done because it was just so cool. (laughs) Then we we went down, we got in a bus, we were checking it out. Our tour manager bought champagne and it was, it it was pretty funny. We actually, we popped the corks and we were trying to figure out the sound system. And right when we turned it on, it was tuned to a local radio station that was playing our song. (gasps) It was ridiculous oh, moment. That's I went to, magical. Yeah, I went to sleep. We rolled out of town having some beers and stuff and I fell asleep and then we woke up in Northern California and that drive would have killed me, but oh, I got wow. up well rested and I uh I sleep like a baby uh in my little it's it's so dark in the bunks. It's my little my little worry cube, my little stress coffin. Wow. It's just like it's where I uh <laughs> um, it's where I can I can lay down there and uh, just kind of black out the world. The generator just kind of hums you to sleep. I sleep better mm-hmm. on a tour bus than anywhere else. For wow. Sure. Incredible. But I do miss uh, the fun things we get to do when we're just driving through, you know, a desert in New Mexico at you know, 10 in the morning and we see a random little cabin up on a hill or a cave. We just stop and we go, hey, let's go check that out. You can't really do that anymore. Right. So it just takes you from show to show, but it's more pro. It's you're definitely more, you're better rested, but it's, you just got to really make time to go out and find your own fun. Cause we like doing things. Uh-huh. That's a big hobby of ours is we're never one of those bands that goes somewhere and just sits in the hotel. We don't sleep. We like to experience, we eat, we drink, we make friends, we do whatever the people do. And so it's a little bit more difficult than the bus, but we find ways to do it. Right. So now I've heard lots of things about tour buses. Like, I mean, I've never actually toured on a tour bus because my bands were always in in cars and things. Yeah. But I've heard the number one rule on the tour bus is never poop on the bus. Yeah. It costs a lot more money. Now, if you really? wanted me to get into some gruesome details, <laughs> there, Why is, not? there is a way to do it. <laughs> But uh, I don't even know if I want to know that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. But there is anything's possible. Ooh. There's a lot of tricks that you learn involving everything, not just poop. And I never had to because I'm, um, you know, I'm a man. I can pretty much control my bodily actions, <laughs> you know, pretty well. But there's also a lot of booze and a lot of food and a lot of other things involved. So you never know. 
But cooking on a tour bus is very fun. And our tour manager, Scott, he is very unbelievable at it because you don't have a lot of have a lot of choices. We get our rider every day, what we get for food, and we we kind of stock the bus. A lot of that is things that we don't even really eat at a at a show, but we put on the bus for late night snacking, thing like things like that. But there's only so many things you can have on there. So some people get creative, I'll get like a foreman grill or something like that. Because when you're on a bus for you know 45, 50 days, and you can only you only pretty much have a microwave and a toaster and a coffee pot, you tend to get a little crazy. So take hot dogs for example. You have no idea how many ways that we have learned to cook a hot dog <laughs> while on a tour bus. Wow. And it's it's pretty fun. So my my favorite two are toaster dogs, where we just take the toaster, we stick them in straight down. So you can do a whole pack, whole pack of weenies pretty much. You can wow. fit about eight of them in there. Okay. Drop it, pull them out. And there's a little bit of a fire hazard with all the uh <laughs> with all the grease and things, but hey, it's just a risk you have to it's take. Just a risk you have to take, yeah. yeah. And you know, greatness <laughs> never never comes without risk. <laughs> Coffee dogs uh, is another one that's very fun. So we just pretty much throw a bunch of hot dogs in the coffee pot, fill the machine up with water, and just don't add boil them. Yeah, basically. just yeah, just don't add coffee to it, and it uh, it just heats up and bros your hot dogs. You just walk around with a walk around with a coffee pot full of hot dogs and hand them out to your boys. Sweet, nice. We wrap them in other okay. meats. You know, we uh, <laughs> we've got uh, we've got some pretty crazy systems. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. And then how many people can you get on the tour bus? I mean, how many, what's your working it roster? It sleeps 12. We roll with 12 because we always pack the house. We try to leave one extra bunk for any, uh, you know, hopalongs. Mm-hmm. You do get some hopalongs. You know, if a friend wants to come jump on the bus for a day or two, but we always have, we've got a big crew, we've got a big band. A lot of times we have a family, we've got a four-year-old running around. Right. But in that case, you know, that we kind of make the back lounge, the uh, the family bedroom a lot of the times. We try to keep a bunk open for hoplongs, and we always bring one, at least one photographer or street artist that likes to come. That's what the extra bunk is for, just somebody oh, cool. that wants to travel and can kind of just use us to go see some different cities. And so that's cool. we like taking street artists that would normally be hopping trains and stuff like that. Right. Like, hey, come up on the bus for a couple of days. That's and fun. Or any photographers that want to want to roll around, we're we're big into that kind of thing. We, yeah, we like to give people the opportunity to do that. Community, yeah, a little for community sure. there. That's nice. Yeah. So you're on the road in the bus, forty five to fifty days. What is what is a daily like? What's your daily routine on the bus? How does it has it unfold? It kind of depends on what you do. Like I said, we're very proactive. We like to go out and do a lot of things. So depends on a headlining tour. Our crew will get up. Thank God we have crew now. Love to the Lords of Portland. Our crew is the best crew ever. I had my back's gone out. I don't know how many times <laughs> I was the trailer packer for. I was um, too. for for years, and it finally went out. Sciatica, real bad. Couldn't mm. put on my own shoes for about Aww. three weeks. That's pretty rough. Strong as an ox now, though. It's fine, no problem. <laughs> but a lot of times with the full crew, that first bus tour was absolute hell. Like we were working so hard those days. We're insane. We'd load in, we'd get up at about eight or nine to load in, and we were on a new album cycle, and it was our first album on a major label. So usually a label A&R or a radio rep would pick us up at about eight o'clock. We'd go around, do a bunch of radio stations, playing acoustic, doing interviews all day, come back, sound check, finish setting up the gear, sound check, more interviews, maybe get time for dinner, maybe not. Sometimes we didn't. Play a show, usually I can interview or a photo or two afterwards, hang out with all your friends, drink as much as you possibly can, 
while packing the trailer. <laughs> shut the door, hopefully with enough time to go get a drink at a bar before the bars close. A lot of times it didn't happen. Have a few on the bus, go to sleep about five, wake up at eight again for six or seven weeks straight. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Like three hours of sleep a night. It's pretty yeah. rough. Now it's a little better. We've got the best crew in the world. Day now, like the crew will load in at eight or nine. We'll wake up around, you know, nine thirty or ten. About yeah, it depends. I wake up about nine. And then some some of our guys sleep till two. Our singer wakes up like six. He's a dad. And we just go out and we see what's around. But a lot of times if we're far away, we take a cab into the city, check out local shops, check out local food, and pretty much find something to do. We all find a little bit of time for our hobbies. I like taking pictures. So I go around and take a lot of pictures. And yeah, we just like to soak in the the culture. We've got a very unique opportunity to see the world. And granted, we're working during that. We utilize any free time that we can to soak in whatever's around us. Definitely. So let's talk, you mentioned album cycle. You mm-hmm. know, we've been talking about that a bunch with everybody. You yeah. Know. So what is, because the thing is this, this sort of weird 45, 50 days in a bus, that's not the rest of your year. No, there is a lot of, a lot of promo, a lot of recording time. It honestly depends on the year. Everyone is different. It just kind of depends on what you're doing that year. But some bands take a long time to record. Some bands are very quick. Some people write for a long time. Some people take a lot of time off. We don't take time off ever. We work every single day except Christmas pretty much. <laughs> and well, it's not always necessarily band related, but we're always doing something together. We're always doing some kind of projects. Well, you guys are also kind of, I mean, not totally unique because a lot of bands are close friends, but you guys are close friends. And I mean, there are bands that like don't talk when they're not on the road together. God, I wish we were one of those bands. <laughs> 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 we spend... We do spend uh, probably too much time together. I mean, like <laughs> brothers and stuff, you know, we, we fight a lot. We do a lot of things. The last big show we had in Portland, we were on our bus. The singer and I got in a fight. It was fun fighting. Ended up kind of getting serious. I ended up breaking a few of his ribs. What? By accident. He hurt me too. About a week later, we both were just kind of in pain. We're like, <sighs> we were in Vegas. And I was like, I think I need to go to the hospital. Whoa. And we both went to the hospital. Yeah, things happen. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I was on a tour once where I literally said to my bass player, Fonlin, can you tell Holly that we need to stop at the next rest stop or something like that? Because mm-hmm. I was like, no, we were not speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, so juvenile. Oh, I know. But it, that's <laughs> how things get. It's, it's like siblings. Nobody, people that haven't toured and haven't been in a band don't really understand. It's like, it's a different kind of close. It's different than brothers. It's different than... Than couples, I kind of I try to explain it like, if you can understand what being married's like, but imagine, so you live together, but even as a married couple, you leave and you go somewhere else to work for nine to ten hours and then come home and you have that time. You don't. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, hotel, every day for years and years and years, and with four or five people. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it's 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 weird. Yeah, and it's definitely like unlike that. any other. It's unlike anything else. It's true. It's, I don't it's know how thing. to do anything else. So this is what <laughs> I'm doing. Well, you've been doing this for a while now, so. Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten all right at it. You've gotten all, yeah. all right at it, yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> but, I mean, I you know, everyone says this lifestyle takes its toll on personal relationships because, oh, like, if you're married or if you're with somebody and they can't really get behind, like, hey, going to be gone for 45 days. Yeah, 
It's tough. It can be really tough. It definitely is, especially at the beginning. You know, once things get a little easier, when you when you get bigger and you do actually start making money, we were poor and homeless for years and years and years. We lived in the van. We lived on people's couches. And that's when it took a lot of school. It still does now, obviously, but you can do things. We have the option if, you know, a girl's mad at you, you can be like, all right, I'll fly you out for this next day off or something. And I can actually get our own hotel room because I can maybe afford to get a hotel room now. Right. But there are times where you couldn't. Yeah. And yeah, we lost, I dropped out of college. I lost, I don't know how many really good paying jobs, apartments, girlfriends, dogs. I, yeah, give up everything to do it. But there's, there's just something that, and not all people that do it, I've lost a lot of band members too. Like they're not dead or anything. I know where right. they are. They just didn't want to do it anymore exactly. or it was, or it was, it was too hard. And it's, it's definitely not for everybody. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands that are starting out do ask advice. And, and that's always one thing I say, I'm like, yo, it's not easy. You got to be good and you got to be determined and you got to like really want it. And you don't, but you don't have to decide right away either. That's a, that's the thing. Everybody's so, you know, definitive and whether it's like, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this, try it out. Right. I mean, you don't have to you know, think a minute before you sacrifice jobs and education and, and things like that. But in general, just try things and change your mind, change your mind. I like to change, I change my mind all the time. Right. And uh, that's fine. Well, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about it because I find, you know, in my job running Kill Rock Stars, yeah. I get people approach me every day about, you sure. know, we want to be a band, we're this, we're that. And I'm always like, do you guys even really know what this job is that you want? Yeah. And that's the thing, because so many people have said to me, like, oh, I'm totally like, this is my life. Music is my life. But I don't want to quit my day job and I don't want to do this and I don't want to lose my girlfriend. And I don't want to yeah. lose my nice apartment and all this stuff. And I'm I, I'm glad that we're talking to you because you guys had literally nothing, as you said. Oh, yeah. We we, we lost it all. But yeah. you also, you don't have to go as hardcore <laughs> as we did as well. You can keep an apartment. Right. You can do that kind of stuff. It's just we, we went all in. Right. And you don't have to do it. But it is, a lot of people don't understand how hard of work it is. I've built houses. I've worked in warehouses. I've washed dishes. I've cooked. I've done pretty much every job there is. I've never worked even close to as hard at anything as I do with this. It's not a, it's not a nine to five. It's when you open your eyes, when you close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many things that people don't think about. And honestly, one of the last things, sadly, is playing music. I play so much less music now that I'm a professional musician. <laughs> There's so much other things to do. Right. And right now we're kind of getting into practice mode. We just got a space and we haven't had one in a long time. And it's been, uh, we're just getting into the swing of things, but just playing music with my guys again, so much fun. Yeah. And it's it's really good. But yeah, there is there's a lot of work going into it. And, but it's it's fun. It's very rewarding. and. For the people that got to do it, it's just something you have to do. And a lot of it isn't fun. In fact, most of it isn't fun right. anymore. The recording, everybody likes different things, but the recording process is, we've had a tough time on this one. We've been recording forever and it's horrible. I hate being in the studio. All I do is it's just full of self-doubt, self-loathing, hating yourself, hating <laughs> the other members of your band and questioning every move you make and every decision. It's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's That's rough. so stressful and just, and you don't sleep and it's, it's just, but, but to finish it and get it done, it's just like, it's just like this tiny thing that you just like, uh, 
we just got to do. I don't right. know why. I can't explain it all. It's stupid. Has, has recording always been like that for you or has it changed over time? It's definitely changed. We put uh, a lot more stress on ourselves mm. the bigger we get. And there's, there's more things to think about. More things matter. You know, back in the day, we every, every time we go in with a different producer or just every day you get a little wiser and you learn things. And so now when we used to write a song, we just kind of throw a bunch of stuff out there. And now there's so much more thought, which is very funny too. When bands get bigger, a lot of people start saying like, oh, you like started making pop songs and you're, you guys are selling out and you're taking forever to record like simpler songs. And they don't get it that it's, it's so much harder. And that's another thing to always remember young bands. People will tell you things how they don't, they don't like what you're doing. If you get, you know, if you get bigger or your song gets on a TV show or something and they'll try to tell you, so don't forget that you don't write music for them. Write music for yourself. Even if you want to make, we, we try to make, you know, accessible music, but with art and substance, but it's for us. We're not making it for anybody else. That's the one thing people forget. I do everything for anybody all day. The only thing I do very selfishly is make music. Right. Because otherwise it's not real. That's true. And also, you can't please everybody. There's no possible way. There is no you way. You couldn't write a song and be like, hey, do you like this enough? Yeah, for sure. Would you like me to fix it? Yeah. And I just, I, <laughs> can't, I just can't, I can't care yeah. enough. Like, there's no way that we could go out and just tickle each individual person. You know, it's uh, it doesn't work. Yeah. So every time we write a song, I'm just like, I'm like, well, anybody that likes this album of ours is going to hate this. Anybody that likes this album is going to love it. But... And we think about that, and I know that that stuff happens, but you can't let it really affect what you want to do, especially us, because we want to do something different every time, for better or worse. We're going to keep changing. We're going to keep evolving, and so we'll see. Cool. Well, on that note, Zach Carruthers from Portugal The Man, thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thanks for having me. Your mama's got nothing on me. Your daddy's got nothing on me. was Evil Friends by Portugal the Man. You're listening to The Future of What. We're looking at the value and necessity of touring. So far, we've heard from American bands who have successfully toured the country, but establishing a U.S. audience is pivotal to acts from overseas, too, like English duo Ultimate Painting. We talked with Jack Cooper and James Hoare last month at Pickathon. I am talking to Jack and James from Ultimate Painting, and I am Portia, and welcome to The Future of What. Thank you. Thanks. Have you lived in London a long time? Yeah. 
Have you done most of your musical career from London? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, because that was one of the things that I was pretty interested in about the UK music scene that's very different from America, which is that it's like if it's not happening in London, nobody cares. It, yeah, very much so. And it's, it, 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 it's almost like you just, you're inevitably, you'll be end up there if you exactly. do music because it's just everything happens there. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a little friends band called Esper Scout from Leeds. Okay. And we're always just like, you know, call us when you move to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they're like, no, we're going to resist because all of their friends bands have moved. And it's just like, it's just how it how it happens. Is that because all the music press is there, the television, or, or what is it? Or is it just sort of national... I think it's British a lot to do culture. with the, the way the music industry works, where all the all the offices are there, all the labels, all the press people, and so it's that's just it's. It, it, I think even more over the years, it's just now become the epicenter. Right. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy sort of thing, in that it's been like that for so long. You kind of just have to move there if if you you want to succeed, I suppose. Right. It's. I mean, there's there was, there's obviously exceptions to the rule, you know. There's lots of bands that come out of Glasgow and mm -hmm. I mean everywhere sure. around the country, but it seems like everyone kind of moves down to London. I wish it wasn't like that, but I know that's just an interesting thing because in America, you know, we have these regional scenes, or at least we used to. Certainly in the '80s and '90s, the regional scenes were very strong. I think lately, I think because of the internet, things have changed so much that everyone's a little bit less area specific like region specific but I know when I graduated from college I moved to Minneapolis because Minneapolis was having a hot scene in the early 90s yeah yeah you know and we're I'm like I'm gonna move to the big city and make it yeah, yeah. <laughs> music business and that did not happen obviously <laughs> the I think the internet has a lot to answer for that that kind yeah. of thing yeah but isn't that interesting that it hasn't really been the same in the UK? Yeah, I mean, you do get people like, sometimes you get electronic musicians living it out of the way and there's some people manage to do that. But yeah, I, I think also the London's so much bigger than the, uh, any of the other cities, but the, the live music scene is so much stronger. I mean, lots of American bands these days come over and they'll do a, like, just do a London show now, or they'll do like two dates, like London and Manchester. Right, yeah. yeah. I think that's something to do with like, when you're touring in the UK, I don't think guarantees are that good, except in London, for touring bands. Right. And, you know, gas costs a lot there. Hotels, True. you don't get... I mean, in Europe, you get hotels provided, usually. I know. And here, you have the culture of, like, staying with people. But yeah. But it's kind of less like that in England. Oh, interesting. I think so, anyway. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the reasons as well, people have smaller houses. So, and so people... It's quite, especially outside of like, say, New York or the, it, people often have really big houses with spare rooms and, you know, Absolutely. So, and that doesn't exist even outside of London. Like people, like, yeah. it's just not something that's a thing. So it is a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the irony of it is you, people move to London to meet people to, jo you know, start bands and stuff, but I can't really think of a harder place in the country to exist as a musician or be in a band. I mean, like rehearsal spaces are extremely expensive. No one has a basement. Right. You can't make any noise. I mean, we all live on top of each other. Right. It's expensive. It's super expensive. Yeah. And, you know, it's so competitive as well. How do you make that work when you go on tour? Do you have roommates? Or do you lease out your flat? I mean, how do you make that work? I, I live with a couple, a friend of mine, and Jack lives with his wife. Oh, so. okay. So you've got someone who's actually yeah. continuing yeah, yeah. to live there. That's one way to do it. Yeah. 
but, marriage in the service of yeah. rock and roll. But I mean, even like the way we started the band and the way we exist is we record, it was everything like recorded in my flat uh, and we like, that's where we put all the music together and we never, we never go to practice spaces oh, just because yeah. they're really expensive and then I'm quite depressing. And so no one has that. So like our band exists basically from my bedroom. That's how all the, everything we've ever done has been made there. Wow. And it, and that probably is down to the London. If it was somewhere else, I'd probably have a studio, you know, out, out outside of the city or whatever, or right. in my basement. Or people, yeah, no, I don't know anyone who's got studios spaces, and that's something you get in America. People, you know, sure, yeah. So our, our music is like completely defined by the fact that we live in London as well. Because I mean, we we had to start off like the drum when we did the first album. The drums are kind of barely there. They're so quiet. Everything we do is so quiet, which is why it kind of has this laid back thing because we, we can't make that much noise. Yeah, because that's, I mean, we're always interested in the finances of how people manage to do this. You guys, I'm assuming, do not have day jobs? No. Have I, you had a day I job? I have like a, I keep, like last summer when we weren't doing as much, I, I work for a florist, I like deliver flowers. Uh, so I was working quite a bit last summer and now when I'm at home, I work like a day or two a week. Which is kind of perfect. Like my boss is super flexible, so I mean, she gets cross with me, but <laughs> she would anyway. I'm, I'm not a good employee. <laughs> so when you guys are at home, how often do you go out on the road from home? Like, how often do you play local shows or just travel around in the UK? Surprisingly, uh, very little. Because yeah, especially when if you build a if you're building a band up, when you start a band, you can play in London all the time. You know, you can play with your friends. And, and the way it works now is it's so you, you play like one show when your record comes out and your booking agent doesn't want you to do anything else because and it's a bit I find that a bit frustrating because often when you start a band the most fun time is playing in like a little show or we, we played like one of our first shows in my garden things like that and right. that's something about American that's more of an American thing and playing in yards and that doesn't really happen so much but we you, as soon as the band gets more established and you have a fan base you can you just play once a year when your record comes out or maybe twice you know or and and it's the same with the tour like we play outside of london very little again just when the record comes out or the old festival right so you're not on the road all the time well we play in europe quite a lot Okay. So we, we, Europe's a different matter. We can go back there a lot more and there's more countries and you can get, you can have focus on one region, you know, like we, we started doing well in the Netherlands. So we've been back there more and then there's Spain's really big in itself. You know, you can go there for two weeks. And right. So I think last year we played like a, over a hundred shows. Okay. Yeah. So we played quite a lot. Right. But, but we don't do, you know, small shows in London or. Right. We, we hadn't even done a UK tour until the last record. I realized with the first record, we didn't even do a UK tour. We just played like, uh, you know, like Brighton or Manchester, but yeah, it's. So you guys had been in bands before, but so you already had, you know, so the, the rudimentary knowledge of the business that, you know, you get with just being in a band and playing, but with this band, at what point did you guys start to get outside help? So like management, booking agent, label, you know, how long how was, did that come? It was pretty much straight away. Oh, yeah. Like, we finished the record and we were like, because we originally started where we met on tour, like uh, James's band, Veronica Falls. My band, Mazes, were on tour with Veronica Falls. And we sort of hit it off. And we, James has like a home studio. And 
we talked about like doing like a single or something or just like getting together to record and we started recording and then we're like this is really good let's do let's make it an ep and get someone to put it out and then it got to the point where we'd done an album and we literally sent it off straight away to trouble in mind and they got back that day and were like we want to do it we think we can get you an agent and it was like within a week we had like everyone that we needed to do it i know but i think it was a total it was like because we've been in bands before we knew people you know so it's like yeah you weren't cold this was the first rodeo and i think a lot of it is you the people you meet along the way because if you don't know if we didn't have the connections we had we wouldn't have been able to get it straight to a label sure did you have a relationship with that label before no no no. did you just like them or how did you pick them? them you liked what they were doing yeah Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I'm less in touch with current stuff at the moment. I didn't even, I didn't even know about them. But then, I, when Jack said they were like respected, I looked it up, and yeah, they put out really good stuff, and it seemed like we'd fit in well there. So cool. Yeah, I think it just got to a point where we we've been doing it long enough to know a lots of people. And sure, I remember my friend Andrew, who's in that band Parquet Court. Oh yeah. I was talking to him maybe last year, and we were talking about like you know, music, making music. And, and I was like, why do you think Parquet Courts is so much better? So is so got such a bigger profile compared to the things he's done before, because I think his first band Teenage Cool Kids was as good as Parquet Courts. Mm-hmm. And then he did a band called Fergus and Geronimo, who were great as well. And he was just like, it's basically because I know more people now. Mm-hmm. It's like you go along, and you know more people and that's it. Sure. Absolutely. And I think that was kind of how it was with us. Yeah. I mean, I know as a label that if I were to get an email from you guys and I knew your old bands, I'd be like much more prepared to take you seriously, you know, because you actually have a track record and that's the hardest thing. And I think that's an important point. I'm glad we're talking about it for, for listeners who are in young bands. It's like you send, you send a cold demo to a label you've done nothing in your life. It's really difficult for us to take you seriously because we don't know if you're going to tour. We don't know if you're going to do any of the aspects of the job that you need to do. You guys are seasoned. It's like, oh yeah, they're going to, they already have this job. Yeah. 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 And we're getting an opportunity to get on board. But like I was was saying earlier, if it was, if we were going to do that, there'll be, I'd know someone who, you know, works for you or whatever. There's people will have connections. Right. Exactly. For a start, like we'd be able to send it through, you know, and that's, that's just the kind of thing that I think if you're, if you just get things coming in it's probably very rare that a band gets signed from in in that situation it must happen so rarely very rarely we i think we've signed four bands from demos in our whole history 25 years you didn't know who weren't like right and who we were literally willing to take a chance on just out of love you know love is always the downfall of record labels because we're like but i love it and then they turn out to like you know break up immediately or never tour or something
Unlimited Painting. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Unlike Portugal the Man or the Thermals, this next group has taken an unusual approach to marketing themselves around the country. Simon Tam founded The Slants 10 years ago and resourcefully built the band's fan base by playing conventions. My guest is Simon Tam of the band The Slants. Welcome to The Future of What, Simon? Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So you have an awesome story. So I want you to tell our audience just how did your band get started and what do you guys do? A lot of times people call us the world's first and only all Asian American dance rock band, which is kind of a mouthful, but it kind of got started because I watched a movie, Kill Bill from Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) And like, I I got it when it came out on DVD, I was watching it and there's a scene of this woman named Ornishi. She walks into a restaurant and she walks in with this gang of crazy 88s. And it, it, that moment was so powerful for me because it struck me that I'd never seen Asian Americans depicted as cool, confident, and sexy before on on any mainstream film. And then I thought about my art, my passion, which is music. And I thought, wait, how come people don't, there's nobody that looks like me on the Billboard charts or in Rolling Stone or in MTV when, back when they used to play music videos. Like, why is there, even though there's 17 million of us, how come we have almost no representation? And so then I had this idea. I was like, you know, maybe I should start a band that deliberately celebrates uh, my culture in a bold kind of way with music that kind of throws back to 80s synth pop. And so that's kind of how we got started. But from then on, it became this whole series of adventures, like of being that Asian band of like kind of thrown into weird niches when, when, when it wasn't quite expected of uh, tackling anime conventions as a market and, and everything else. <laughs> so tell us the story of how you got started with the anime conventions, because that is something I think that people would not have expected, and it's a really unique story. Sure. So back in 2006, when I was looking for musicians to recruit for the band, I got invited to an anime convention. I thought, oh, great, there's going to be a ton of Asian kids there. Maybe some play music and I can meet some of them. Turns out it's a bunch of white kids who are obsessed with Asian culture. And, <laughs> and most of them don't play music. But as I was going through there, I noticed they're just really into the culture and they were paying 50, 60 bucks for import CDs. And I thought, well, if I brought in a real band here that isn't doing imports, we can we can do quite well. And so I went back home. I emailed the convention right away, even though I didn't have a lineup yet. And I said, hey, I play in this Asian band called The Slants. I want to play at your convention. And they're like, you're Asian? Sure. You could be our guest of honor next year. So I was like, that was easy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I better get a lineup together. And as soon as I had that lineup, I was trying to convince them all, like, we got to play anime conventions. This is a great market. And they were all used to doing clubs and that kind of thing. They're like, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? And I was like, just trust me. Like, nobody else is doing this. So we went and played that convention. And in that one show, we made enough to basically buy us a tour bus, pay for all our merch, and put out our first album. Whoa. Uh, just from, from one show. And they had never heard of us before. But wow. we had like 800 kids just jumping and screaming and dancing, like treating us like we were total rock stars. And then I thought, we got to do this all the time. So... <laughs> I went and just contacted a bunch of other conventions and I was like, we played this one con, uh, you should invite us too. And, you know, sure enough, a lot of them were inviting us in because they didn't really have any bands out there. And so to this day, we've actually played more anime conventions than any band in the world. 
And the funny thing is we have nothing to do with anime. We've never <laughs> been on an anime soundtrack. We don't play anime cover songs or anything like that. But because we've kind of established ourselves in that market, people see us as that kind of go-to band. Wow. And so we get flown all around the world to play these conventions. And I like I kind of tell by the attendance numbers how many CDs I'm going to sell that, that weekend and how many t-shirts to bring because it's oh, so man. consistent. Wow. And so like at minimum, I'll bring like, I know I'm going to sell like 50 discs and a bunch of t-shirts. And it, it just worked out really, really well. And so we've actually kind of structured our career around it. Like I book entire tours using anime conventions as our anchors. So if we play for a club and only make a hundred bucks, I know I can go to a convention that's going to put us in like a five-star resort and play for a couple of days where we can shower and eat and, and make enough <laughs> money to pay for the tour and, and have my band members taken care of. Wow. That is really genius. <laughs> that was a genius move on your part to do that. So, and you told me before that you actually used to play more anime conventions and you've cut back. Yeah. I mean, ever since the economy kind of took this hit, people had less and less spending cash. Conventions kind of scaled down their budgets. And so that that impacted us quite a bit. But as things are picking up, we're actually starting to play more conventions again. Like I just starting this year, we were in the news quite a bit recently. I started getting a lot of interest from other conventions. So we're, we're seeing that pick up quite a bit. And even overseas too, like conventions in Europe and Australia are looking into us now. Wow. You guys are going to go all the way around the world <laughs> just on... Just on conventions. I'm trying to book this anime convention in Moscow right now, but Google Translate is not not working out so well. <laughs> so if I could find someone to translate, then I, you know, it, well, it this would is work a radio out. show. So write to us at the future of what show at gmail.com if you are a Russian translator. You or can you know be our one. tour manager. There you go. You come with us. <laughs> you can go to Moscow with this Lance. So now another interesting thing about your band, because you run your band a lot like a business, which a lot of bands, a lot of bands are, are sort of bands of friends and it's very casual, but you have an application online, correct? If you want to be a <laughs> member of the Slants, you have to apply. Yeah. My, and my band members joke about this all the time. So one of the ways to filter out band members, aside from like their ethnicity, is that I, I have this application and it has you know, the typical stuff you ask, like their name, contact info, but it also has questions like, why do you want to join this band? Like, what what about this band appeals to you? What's your work ethic like? Do you have transportation? We ask for dietary preferences. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's like short answer sections. My... <laughs> Like my, we got a new lead singer about two years ago and he was just, he was like, you, it took me like two hours to fill out this thing. I was like, yeah, but that's how I knew you would be serious about this band. In addition to having that application on our website that people fill out, once we get that and kind of sort through the candidates we like, we actually bring him in for a live audition. And so we'll run out a venue in town and people are expected to show up and do a five song set with us without ever rehearsing with us just to see if they could pick up our songs, see how they perform on stage. And we videotape them performing with us and we basically treat it like a live show, except no one's in the room. It's just us and the, the video camera. And then after they perform with us, we do an in-person interview for about 15 to 30 minutes just to fill them out, see what their personalities like, see if they gel with the band and, and kind of go from there. So it, wow. it's quite a process, but I'd say like, this is something I've learned over the years after having a lot of turnover in the band that I really want to make sure people joined that they were really serious about the band, that they would honor their commitments, that they wouldn't flake out on us. And then once they're in the band, I think they appreciate the process because they're like, we gone, we went through all of this together and 
it's almost like hazing them in or something because because <laughs> then they, they kind of bond over it and, and they make fun of me all the time like if they if they screw up at a show they're like oh man simon's gonna put this on our performance review <laughs> you do performance reviews i don't actually but I, maybe i should <laughs> oh my gosh that's awesome but it, it, we definitely treat it like a business and we treat, I treat them like employees, but it also through that process, they become like family too, right. because they realize that how much is at stake that I, I, and I remind them all the time, like, this isn't just about like your show, like you performing well, like if you screw up or if you're, if you're late to a show that affects all of us and the, and all of our livelihoods, right. and so they, they all know that. And, and so there's like this deeper connection and, and it, it creates like this really great work ethic among the band. I think it's genius. I mean, from my perspective, it's genius because I've just worked with band after band and had these, you know, heard stories and also actually worked with people who just give up for the craziest reasons or, you know, oh, I can't tour because my girlfriend, I'll miss my girlfriend too much or, sure. I mean, just crazy. I think I told you the story of the first band I managed whose drummer refused to go on tour because he didn't want to lose his job at his dad's grocery store. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, you've got the rest of your life to be a checker. <laughs> like I, if that's really your biggest ambition, like you're, come on, man, you could be a rock star. And it's funny how like people just don't have really think about these things before they make those commitments. Mm -hmm. And that's why we we even interview the applicants if they have a spouse. Like we we took the my drummer and his wife out to the the singer who was auditioning and his wife just to make sure that like, okay, this is what it's gonna be like. Can you be apart from each other for months at a time? And then we we actually have our drummer's wife there so she could explain what it's like from her point of view. And then they kind of bond when we're on the road and that sort of thing. But it, it's we have to like vet the, through these things so we're not you know, about to jump on a tour and then have somebody back out right last minute. Absolutely. We need to be able to honor those commitments and make sure that they, they actually want to have that kind of a lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you guys also are making real money, it sounds like, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, enough to like where most of the band doesn't have like day jobs. and that Exactly. Sort of thing. So, and, and, you know, that's a, an important part of that, right? If you're going to take a job that actually supports you, because I think that's one of the problems with bands. People get into bands when they don't have any money. Sure. So it just seems like a fun thing that you're doing with your friends. But then if it grows and it becomes something, then you have to reassess everything. Yeah, you have to treat it like a job. And it's like, will your job allow you to show up totally drunk or, <laughs> or late um, all the time? No. And and so we, we have that written to the band contract that you're not drinking on stage. You, you, you're, you're responsible for your own equipment, you know, like all that kind of basic stuff. And once we get those conversations out of the way, it just makes it a lot easier to breathe because we know we can count on each other. We know what the expectations are like right from the beginning. And it's, it's great. I, I mean, I, I love the band members that I have now. They treat it like a profession. Well, Simon Tam is a musician and an entrepreneur and a creator of niches. So thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thank you for having me.
was Capture Me Burning by The Slants. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard The Thermals, Ultimate Painting, Portugal The Man, The Slants, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.